Welcome back, everybody. It's the Betting Pros College Football Show. I am your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm here, as always, with Thor Nystrom at ThorKU on the Twitter machine. We hope that your regular season ended well. I did, I had one of my worst weeks on my article uh, at the end, but I was so far over 500 that I still finished 15 games up. So uh, we'll take that, Thor. Uh, we're going into conference championship weeks. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, man. Are you ready? I mean, we're winding down to the end here. We're going to be at bowls before you know it. 16 days away from bowls as we're talking. So uh, are you ready to to get into bowl season here? Yes, it's a very exciting time. You know, you, you've had the coaching carousel open up. You've had the transfer portal already open oh, up and, and, and people flying into that. You've had bowl announcements starting, you know, and, and the teams, the, the matchup starting with that. And then we have an awesome conference championship weekend set up where yeah. there actually could be movement with the college playoff, you know, specifically those last two seeds, depending on what happens. So I I, I can't wait to see it. Specifically that Utah-USC uh, rematch is going to have playoff implications. Oh. So excited to talk about it. And that's one of the first ones we have because we open up on Friday with the Conference USA Championship. UTSA is an eight and a half point favorite. 69 is the total on this one, Thor. A lot of money heading towards North Texas. 94% of cash right now on North Texas. 99% of cash on the over. Is that how you see this game going? I'm actually on UTSA in this one. Um, th- like it, uh, at, it, I think the ticket I bought earlier in the week was seven and a half, but it, with it being at eight and a half, I'm still on UTSA. My line on that, with it at eight and a half, my system's not showing a ton of line value. It's it's UTSA minus 9.2, so just, just a little bit. Um, but I think it's a decent matchup uh, for, for UTSA. Um, obviously, they, they have the, the pass-first uh, offense, and, and their passing offense is really, really good. They have the two stud receivers. Earlier in the season, UTSA had three stud receivers. I think they're all going to play in the NFL, but DeCorey Clark had the, the injury where he's out for the season. Frank Harris has been really good, their quarterback, and they can run the ball as well. It's, it's just they're, they're led by the passing foot. North Texas's defense is really, really bad. UTSA is going to have no problem uh, moving the ball here. And then on the, on the other side, uh, UTSA doesn't have the best defense, but what their strength is, is shutting down the run where you can eat UTSA's lunch. It's, it's through the air. Well, UNT, they're a run first team they're, They go four deep at running back or they did until they had two running back injuries this past month. And I don't know if either of those two kids is going to play, but either way that, you know, the, their run rate is, is pretty high. I think UTSA is going to be able to shut out the lights on that rushing attack. That's going to put a lot of pressure on Austin Oon, the North Texas quarterback, to win this game through the air. Austin Noon's counting stats are really good. Like he, I think it's 30 to 11 uh, or 31 to 11 TDI and T rate. He's passed for over 3000 yards, but he has been extremely flattered by running it up on, on terrible teams. Oon has only pat or has only had a PFF game grade over 75.0 in four games this season, UTEP, Western Kentucky, FIU and Rice. Of those four teams, Western Kentucky is the only one of them to have a top 90 SP plus defense. I just think this is a solid matchup for UTSA. I'm not concerned about last week where they sort of slept walk through that, that game against UTEP because we saw the exact same thing last year in week 13 when UTSA already had the, the Conference USA birth uh, title game birth sewn up and they played North Texas. Ironically, North Texas in that scenario was the team that was five and six. North Texas upset UTSA in week, week 13 last year. But then UTSA went on and beat Bailey Zappi's WKU Hilltoppers yeah. the next week in this game. So I'm I'm not concerned about that. 
I say UTSA by double digits here. I remember I was sitting at a bar at some restaurant watching that game last year, uh, the uh, Conference USA title game. But let's go to the one you mentioned, Thor, here. Um, the Pac-12 title game, also a Friday night affair. Number four, USC against number 11, Utah. 67 and a half is the total. Two and a half point favorites are the Trojans in this game. This is the one game that USC lost this year. But if you go back and you kind of look at that game, they had opportunities to dominate that game and they just missed here. They just missed there, had some penalties, had some uh, bad plays at the end, end up losing it, just really choking it away. I'm pretty confident in USC here, Thor. What do you think? I, I I'm on the other side. Uh, no, Utah? I, okay. Yeah. Now I, I have misfired uh, stepping on the train tracks against USC <laughs> each, each of the past two weeks. I, I first tried with UCLA. <laughs> then I tried with Notre Dame. But I'm going back to the well with the team that I got my 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 hit on when I when I faded them against USC and another one like you mentioned Utah is the only loss that the USC has had. Um, in, in contrast to that game, you know that that game was in Salt Lake City. This game is on a neutral field, so obviously that is of benefit to USC. But USC in that game needed a big game out of Travis Die. Travis Die is now out for the season. Utah's run defense is the thing that you want to attack. That's the part of their defense that is not good. Um, and, and, you know, USC's backup running back, you know, Austin Jones and, and then the freshman they got, they, they were decent in, in, in the last game. We'll see over the full game when they're sort of needed to exploit this, this weakness on, on the other team. Um, the, the secondary, though, in the pass defense of Utah is very, very good. In the last game, Caleb Williams sort of had to go Superman for, for USC to that, that game was basically a coin flip. And then, you know, Utah just pulled it out, but for it to be even be a coin flip, Caleb Williams had to go Superman, but he was under duress the entire time. I, I think he had 18 different passing snaps where he was under pressure. It was tied for the most pressures that Williams has been under in any game this year with the Oregon state game, which was by far the worst game that Williams had played all year. Um, the, the game against Utah, I think he had his third worst adjusted accuracy percentage of any of any game this year it's just that he had five big time throws um he, he was making the incredible throws the the five that's tied with the arizona game for the most big time throws that caleb williams has had in a game this year it, in no other game did he have more than three so he really went supernova against a, a really really good uh utah secondary number one because utah's top 20 in the nation or actually the, i think they're 23rd in pff co uh, coverage grade they're top 20 in, in another important pass defense uh, stat, but the, they also have the awesome uh, pass rush Utah does. It's it's top 20 sack rate was, was the other thing I was thinking of. And USC's, uh, their offensive line, they've been greatly aided as the entire offense has by Caleb Williams. Like if you look at USC's, uh, their sack rate, it's 43, which is respectable, but you start digging deeper and it gets a little bit more troubling. On passing downs, it's number 79, and the Trojans are number 97 in pressure rate. What that tells you is Caleb Williams is he's he's able to extend plays at other other quarterbacks. They'd be sacked. But is he going to be able to do the same thing if Utah is able to get the same amount of pressure on him? We'll see. But Utah for sure is going to be able to generate that pressure again against USC's offensive line. And then on, on the other side, what is it that USC's defense struggles with? Well, besides everything, they struggle <laughs> against the run. They and they their pass defense stinks too, but it's it's specifically bad against tight ends. You remember the last game, Dalton Kincaid absolutely went nuts. Dalton Kincaid, his his PFF grade is absolutely stupid. Like it's it's like 93 or 94 yeah. or something. 
Um, he, he's a kid whose draft stock has just shot up this season. Dalton Kincaid in the first game against U, uh, uh, USC, 16 catches, 234 yards, and a touchdown. And that was no aberration or blip. The, the past two games against uh, UCLA and, and Notre Dame, uh, USC gave up uh, 12 catches for uh, – trying to find the stats – 12 catches for 142 yards and five touchdowns combined to Michael Mayer and Michael Aziki, the two tight ends on those two teams. USC just cannot cover tight ends. Dalton Kincaid is going to go ape in this game. I expect Utah to be able to run the ball. You do have to give the caveat to Tavion Thomas, the, the stud Utah running back, he has declared for the draft. I don't know if he would have played in this game anyways because he has a, a toe injury that he picked up in the Oregon game. That's the you know a big part of the reason why he opted out when he did. But Utah had gone to this big running back committee even before that, like in the middle of the season. They have three other running backs that they've been given touches to every single week, even when Thomas was playing Glover, Jackson, and Bernard. Those guys are going to be fine with, with the three-man committee, especially against a run defense this bad. Getting the three points on a Utah team that we've already seen beat USC and 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 a, and a Utah team with their three losses, two of those losses came by three points. They've only been beaten by more than three in, in one game this season. And USC, even outside of the loss, they have three game, they have three close wins this year that were by less than seven points. I'm taking the three points with the Utes. All right. Yeah, it, it should be a close one. And do you think Caleb Williams, if he just has a terrible game, can he lose the Heisman here? Or do you think he's already got that wrapped up? I think it would have to be a true abomination of a game where, where like USC four loses. picks in less than a hundred yards. And yeah, like he, he's good. He's going to have to, he's going to have to get to three turnovers and maybe even breach it. And USC would have to lose by two touchdowns or more. I I, I think okay. that's where the door gets open, especially if, uh, you know, one of the, like, for instance, Dugan is, is, is behind him. You know, it's, it's considerable yeah. at this point, but if Dugan absolutely goes yeah. berserk against a good Kansas state defense, TCU wins by margin on the same day. I think that's where maybe, but Caleb Williams is pulled so far ahead. It's going to take something yeah. wild to happen on Saturday. I'm with you there. Friday, uh, how, about, uh, how about the, the, yeah, let's go to Saturday and start with the Mac championship Toledo by one and a half against Ohio 55 is the total there. And I mean, nobody knows money wise. It's 59% of cash on Toledo. 66% of tickets are on Ohio. Um, and they don't even have enough bets, uh, cash wise to put a number, uh, a percentage on cash, but 69% of the tickets are on the over here. You have a good feel for the Mac title game. I was actually expecting, and maybe it's just cause I don't have enough data yet. I was expecting the money to be on Ohio because of the line movement that we've seen. You know, it was like at three, then it was at, uh, you know, Toledo minus three, then it was at Toledo minus two and a half. Now it's down to Toledo minus one and a half. So it, you know, at, at least from that, you, you know, you you were sort of thinking that the market was preferring Ohio. I actually prefer Toledo in this game. Um, you, you have a couple big uh, factors here with the quarterback injuries. Curtis Rourke, of course, for Ohio is not going to play because he's out for the season. He's got a torn ACL and a meniscus thing and, and stuff like that. Uh, Curtis Rourke was PFS highest graded quarterback, and it wasn't even close. He had a 93.1 grade. The next highest was 91.6. I believe that was Drake May. Um, he's, they've only played one game without him so far. Their backup CJ Harris in that game went 10 for 21, 196 yards and a touchdown. Keep in mind, this is against Bowling Green's terrible defense. And CJ Harris did grind out 65, uh, run yards that Ohio's offense, they heavily baked in the quarterback running. I think that's the part of it that CJ Harris will, 
at least be able to somewhat approach. Maybe he's like 85% of Rourke as a runner, but the passing downgrade, it is it has fallen off a cliff. Ohio's passing offense was really, really good um, earlier this season. I mean, it, it, it had had one of the biggest improvements of any passing offense in America. It has gone right back into the toilet now with, with C.J. Harris. On the other side, uh, Daquan Finn, he tried to come back from his own injury last week after he missed a couple weeks. He played the first, I don't know, quarter and a half or two quarters. They had to yank him because he very clearly was not healthy, and he played absolutely terribly. So then uh, uh, Toledo ends up bringing in their backup quarterback, Tucker Gleason, but played really well in two spot starts before that um, against Bowling Green and then somebody else, I forget. Um, but then EMU is the other one. But then in the, the Western Michigan game, Gleason was was awful. He was 13. He was thir- get this. He was 13 for 38 for 200 yards, uh, one touchdown and one interception. But I, I, I do have to give Tucker Gleason the caveat that that WMU game, the WMU and Toledo, it was played in the blizzard, whereas the other two games were played in normal weather conditions. So you do have to put a, a big asterisk on that. The, the, the drop off from Rourke to Harris is enormous, qualitatively, just absolutely enormous. It can't be uh, quantified. The, the drop off from Finn to Gleason, it's not nearly as big. And Finn is not Finn's not as good as Rourke is. So I, I, I guess what I'm short story long the the the, <laughs> the the quarterbacks being out it more is being taken off the table from Ohio for sure and then and then so then you start to think about well what are these teams left with on the Ohio side they can't pass anymore so they need to skew even more heavily t- towards their run game and that's the part where it's not going to the run game not going to fall off a ton outside of the part of now they're predictable but the problem for them here even qualitatively if it's not dropping off a ton is Toledo has one of the best G5 run defenses, you know, in, 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 in the entire G5. Toledo has a solid pass defense too, but they shut out your lights in the run game. And, and Ohio really does not have a recourse away from that unless C.J. Harris magically turns into Curtis Rourke this week. Whereas on the other side, Ohio's defense is awful. And we've, we saw that Tucker Gleason kid two separate times this year play well against MAC defenses. He went one and one in, in those two games. The, the EMU game and the, and the Bowling Green game, but they Toledo's offense was was clicking fine in those games, and they ended up putting up points. So, um, like for me, I, I especially through through the air, I you know like if, as as long as Gleason's playing again, like he did in the, in the first two, uh, Toledo should be able to pile up the air yards on Ohio. I, I have to play uh, Toledo in this game because the matchup of Toledo's run defense against that one-handed Ohio offense. It is so decidedly in, in Toledo's favor. And I think that Toledo is going to be able to manufacture some points. And if, and if I was to lean on the total, it would have to be the under just because of the factors that I just said. All right, let's go over to the big 12 title game here. And uh, I mean, we've got, this is going to be a fun one. Number three, TCU, a two and a half point favorite against number 10, Kansas state 62 is a total here. This one's kind of down the middle. 51% of cash on Kansas state, 71% of tickets are on the hypno toads there. 56% uh, of cash on the over 69% of tickets on the over. Uh, how do you see the big 12 title game playing out Thor? Are we on TCU or K state here? We're on the hypno toads. Um, the, <laughs> you, you talk about TCU, not only sort of, uh, peaking and coalescing at the right time, like in the last game, they made Matt Campbell's defense, which had been awesome all season, 
looked like a high school defense, just absolutely shredded it. And by the way, that was without Quentin Johnston. And it was while they were getting uh, Kendra Miller back, who had missed time with injuries. He came back and proved he was healthy last week, including getting all the usage. And then they also got Dar Darius Davis back, their speed merchant, the, the field stretcher. But Quentin Johnston, Sonny Dyke said after the game, he could have played. It's just we didn't want to use him unless we had to in this game. Otherwise, we were going to save him, you know, basically give him one more, more week to heal for the Big 12 title game. Uh, Quentin Johnson could be a top 10 pick in April. He's an absolute beast who cannot be covered one-on-one. -on -one. So obviously that's an enormous uh, addition for the TCU offense. They haven't had him for a couple weeks. Um, he's going to be very difficult for Kansas State. Kansas uh, On the Kansas State side, they say that Adrian Martinez could be back in this game. I don't really care. And, yeah. and by the way, as someone who's, who's holding TCU tickets, I hope Kansas State starts Adrian Martinez. <laughs> Adrian Martinez is not as good as Will Howard, number one. And number two, Will Howard matches up way better against the TCU defense than Adrian Martinez does because the TCU defense, what it stops is efficiency. What you can do against it is get explosive plays. Deuce Vaughn is going to get some explosive plays here. Like T TCU is going to be able to force uh, Kansas State into some three and outs. They're going to force them to punt. But uh, Kansas State is going to run into some home runs, specifically with Deuce Vaughn. A big key for Kansas State, it's Will Howard connecting on the downfield shots. Um, if, if he can do that more than I'm projecting, that's where Kansas State becomes super viable here. But Adrian Martinez categorically cannot take advantage downfield. So you like if, if you play Adrian Martinez, you're, you're just saying, okay, one of your two defensive weaknesses, we're just going to leave that alone and, and you know, what whatever. So, um, like, you know, again, I'm expecting Will Howard to play any matches up better here, but I, I, I'm i still taking TCU, playing really well, getting healthy at the right time, getting their best player back in this game. It's all Horn Frogs for me. We go over to the Sun Belt title game. Troy's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite against Coastal. 48 is the total. 67% of tickets, or cash, excuse me, are on Coastal, 52% of tickets are on Troy, 77% of the cash is on the under, 62% of the tickets are on the over. So these are literally split down the middle on both sides here. Uh, I, I believe this line did drop from when it opened. I believe it was 10 or 10 and a half earlier. It dropped down to eight and a half. Maybe that means McCall is back for Coastal Carolina. We're not real sure yet. What do you think about uh, this game, Thor? Who wins it? Well, all sorts of weird things have happened with this line. When it actually first opened, it was like Troy minus five and a half or something like that. And then it immediately toggled to, you know, seven and a half. That's, that's where I ended up buying the ticket. Then it got up to eight and a half. And then on, I think it was Monday where the thing jumped into double digits, which is closer to where my line is. Uh, Troy minus 11.4 is, is what my adjusted line is. But then oddly it toggled back to eight and a half, almost as quickly as it had jumped up to double digits and I'm not really sure why it like the, the line movements of this thing, they've been by multiple points and not your usual half a point one. Um, so that stuff has been kind of uh, bizarre to watch McCall's status. Of course, is the important thing. And you would think that that would be informing some of this, but I don't know what positive news have been put out there. that Grayson McCall is going to play. You do the math on it from the day they announced that Grayson McCall is going to miss the, the, the remainder of the regular season. They said his timeline to return was three to six weeks. This game is being played three weeks and three days after that statement was made. <laughs> so you're you're on the very front end of it anyway. There has been no positive news about Grayson McCall's status outside of that, you know, and and specifically for this game. And then today, uh, there was a couple different reports by the Athletic, including uh, 
uh, one of them, one of the reporters had uh, Jamie Chadwell on on their radio station. I'm I'm looking for the quote right now. So Chris Benini had had reported today that uh, like he he was parsing the quotes, or maybe he had interviewed Chadwell, and he had said that McCall's status quote sounds doubtful to me end quote. And then Nicole Auerbach later on Wednesday had uh, Chadwell on a radio show. I think with another, she does a, um, a radio show with another athletic guy. They have Jamie Chadwell on. They ask him about it. Jamie Chadwell outright states on the radio, if the game were played today, i.e. on Wednesday, Grayson McCall could not play. He just okay. outright stated that. Then, So then he did say, uh, that 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 he hopes, you know, th- this is what the coaches always say. Oh, I hope we're hopeful that we can get him. Whatever he he, <laughs> he said that McCall, if, if he if he can get healthy enough to practice over the next three days, that Chadwell would love for him to be available for the Sun Belt title game. What are the odds that he's going to be like tomorrow? <laughs> which, which is what it would have to be that all of a sudden, miraculously, he's he's going to be healthy enough for that when today was what it was. Um, almost assuredly, Grayson McCall is not playing unless this is like a Willis Reed uh, type of a thing, or unless Jamie Chadwell and everyone around that program is just like fabulous lying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- unless they're awesome liars. But uh, like, I'm going under the assumption that Grayson McCall is not playing. So then we have to talk about their backup, this kid named Jared Guest. Jared Guest is throwing the ball 43 times this year. He's completed 44.2 percent of them for 302 yards and a one to four. TDI and T ratio. He's thrown four four times as many interceptions as touchdowns, um, and he also has not run the ball nearly as well as Grayson McCall. Grayson McCall, twenty eight and three as a starter. He over his career seventy point two percent completions, so almost thirty percent friggin' higher than this guest kid. And <laughs> admittedly, a small sample, but and then Grayson McCall seventy four to seven career TDI and T rate. The guest kid only has three less interceptions than McCall. In 43 passes that McCall has in his entire career. Like, the entire constitution of the offense changes. McCall being out and going to guess, it's worth at least 10 points. I'm telling you. Like, I mean, the, the whole thing changes, right? And and so, you know, it's similar to what I was talking about with the Ohio thing where the passing game at Coastal, now it has totally been taken away. What was previously an awesome passing offense, now it's just gone. Now, you can say for Coastal, they were a run-first team, even with, with McCall, and so now they're going to lean even more heavily into the run. Um, but they're one-handed, number one. And then number two, you know, again, you're not getting the mobility out of the quarterback like you were before. And then number two, Troy's defense is really, really good. They'll shut your lights out. Um, especially if you're a one-handed offense, you can't be multiple. They know what's coming. Jamie Chadwell is a very good coach. Like, it, it, admit, admittedly, he is. Um, what he I sees- saw some stuff about him possibly being distracted because he could be uh, getting offered some big-time jobs, too. It's another, we'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) Just in terms of the offensive philosophy, what Chadwell wants to do is get the ball into space, right? And he wants to force one-on-one tackle attempts. And and that that stuff works against most of the Sunbelt defenses, most of the G5 ones. Troy is number 10 in the nation in tackle rate. Like most people are starting to learn the name of uh, Carlton Marshall, their their little he-man linebacker who's like breaking all the records for NCAA tackles and stuff like that. But the entire defense is like that. They get to you and you're going down. So, I mean, like Coastal, you know, even outside the McCall thing, their offensive playmakers are not going to be breaking tackles on Saturday. So if you think that's the way they're getting out of this trap they found themselves, it's not happening. Um, And then on on the other side, 
Troy now, you know, it's his pass first sort of a deal, or at least it was, but they've become more balanced um, this, this season on a whole. But especially in the last couple of weeks, Kamani Vidal, their, their running back, has gone ballistic these, these past couple of weeks, uh, 634 yards over the past four games. And they can still throw. Uh, Gunnar Watson's number 21 in the nation in PFF passing grade. The, that's all going to work. Um, Coastal's defense is not good. And the Coastal's pass defense in particular is awful. Uh, the, the, their secondary is is bad. The success rate is is one of the worst in the nation. Um, the explode like their uh, Coastal's pass defense, one hundred seven success rate, number one seventeen in explosiveness. Here's the key though: Watson should be able to shred that, and, and the Troy defense should be able to shred that. But the one sort of uh, ace up the sleeve of the Coastal pass defense is they do have an abnormally high havoc rate for a secondary that gives up the numbers that they do. So it's basically like a riverboat gambler. And if you put the <laughs> ball up for grabs, they're taking chances and they they could flip the field. So this is a big one for Gunnar Watson. All the yardage that he would ever want is going to be on the table. He just needs to not be greedy and he'll get whatever he wants. But if he gets greedy, Coastal could potentially uh, flip the field on him. But other than that, just sort of playing this thing out and playing the thing conservatively on both offense and defense. I just think Troy wipes the floor with Coastal. Coastal last week was playing a similar team in James Madison and just got walloped because they couldn't do anything on offense. Both their hands were tied behind their back. I like Troy to run away with this thing. And I'm also going with the under in this game just because, again, I, I don't see how Coastal scores points in this game. And Troy, it's not their prerogative to run this thing up. They, they don't do that anyway. They're just going to yeah. try to to put their 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 hands on Coastal's head, let them flail away so they can't hit them, and then Troy's just going to try to control the ball, whether it's through the run or the pass, whatever's working, and just keep the clock running, everything like that. And so I'm going to go with the under 48 and a half. I got to know which one of these teams is more likely to upset. Is it LSU against Georgia or is it Purdue against Michigan? Both big spreads for uh, Georgia. They are 17 and a half point favorites. The over is 51. In the SEC title game, that's number one versus number 14, LSU. And then the Big tw- 10 championship is number two, Michigan, is a 17-point favorite against Purdue. 52 is the over here. Um, I, I think we both expect Georgia and Michigan to win, clearly. Uh, but are they going to cover? Are either one of these teams covering? Because this is, uh, you know, this is a Super Bowl for LSU. This is their biggest game of the year. Same thing for Purdue. Even the bowl game, not as big as this one, because you have a chance to potentially wreck a season here. Yeah. It, as far as who has the better odds to upset, I would go with Purdue in that one um, for a couple different reasons. I, I think there's a couple of things in the matchup where not that they're going to give Michigan trouble, but at least where they can at least battle them to a draw, you know, or something like that. Like Purdue's defense, it's cons- like if, if you had to take a team that was around the quality level of Purdue, and then you had to construct a defense that could at least, uh, uh, sort of address Michigan's offense. Purdue's defense is basically how you would want it to look um, because Purdue's defense is very strong in terms of efficiency. The thing it's, it badly struggles at is getting gouged for explosive plays. Michigan's offense is elite in terms of efficiency. And unless they're playing Ohio State, they don't generate explosive plays every single every single play. Um, what, what's going to be interesting here is, number one, can Donovan Edwards, you know, can, I mean, can he rip off a bunch of long runs again? Um, cause they, the, you know, the door could be open for that potentially. Um, we, we hadn't seen a ton of that earlier in the season. And then also JJ McCarthy, they opened the playbook up for him last week. Are they going to do it again? They're going to keep letting JJ McCarthy throw it downfield. 
that's probably how I would attack Purdue's defense. But like, I don't know what Harbaugh's prerogative will be in that, especially in a game where you should be able to control this one either way. On the Purdue side, Aiden O'Connell is going to play. He's going to start. They they mentioned that O'Connell missed the first couple of practices of the week because he was off with his family because his brother sadly passed away earlier this week. Yeah. But his, his status is 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 fine for this week. Um, I heard that. Uh, or the, the other thing I should say is is Devin Mockaby, their starting running back. He came back last week from his injury, the Purdue running back, and he handled usage, so he's going to be fine in this game. But this is a really tough matchup for Mockaby because Michigan shuts down every run game that it sees. So uh, Aiden O'Connell has to have the game of his life to make Purdue uh, viable here. But one other thing I thought I would mention, uh, I was told earlier this week that the odds of Blake Corum playing are not very good, um, which didn't have anything to do because I asked if it was a re-aggravation. It didn't have anything to do with that. It was just you got everybody saw. Yeah, I mean, he, he only had the two carries for the six yards or whatever. And the thinking, at least as it was told to me on the Michigan staff, is in this game, you don't a thousand percent need it. Because even if you lose, you're getting into the college football playoff. Why would you push Quorum again? In the last one, you could maybe see it. You know, you at least make Ohio State prepare for it. You have them on the field, et cetera. And then you saw that it wasn't working. So then you know, Donovan Edwards absolutely was working. So you're just like, all right, Donovan, it's your day. But in this game, there's really not a reason to push it. So I, I don't expect to see to see Corum there. It's just, will Donovan Edwards rip off the explosive runs? Will, will McCarthy? And then that same idea from the Michigan staff, is that does that mean that they're going to toggle this thing back? Against Ohio State, you saw them throw in the kitchen sink and go for it. In this game, because of the things we just talked about, are they going to go vanilla, scale things back, and just bleed the thing out? That That is certainly in play, and that's what would, would concern you laying the points there. Um, all right, so let's go over to the last couple games we have here. Mount West uh, Conference Championship game is Boise State by three against Fresno State. 54 is the total there. Uh, AAC Championship is Tulane by four. Uh, 56 and a half is the total against UCF. That's 18 versus 22. And then the ACC championship door is number nine Clemson by seven and a half against number 23 UNC. It's 63 and a half. I got to tell you, uh, the Mountain West championship game scares me because, you know, we know Boise State did beat uh, Fresno State earlier this season, but that was without Jay Kaner. So I I think I'm going to take Fresno State in that game. AAC championship, I got no idea. You know, uh, obviously a lot depends on John Reese Plumley playing in that game or not playing in that game. Although Mikey Keene is a capable backup and it has started games before, but I think I like Tulane uh, in that one. And in the ACC championship, I just do not trust Clemson at all whatsoever. I think UNC could win that game straight up. Uh, I think they could get crushed. I'm not sure which way to go. So help me out with those last three uh, conference championship games, Thor. Is there one that stands out above the rest in terms of, you wanting to bet it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the market uh, by and large, maybe not to, in totality, but is, is with you on Fresno state. Cause that line has come down to where it's, you know, it's now three or whatever. And before it was, what was it? Four, even four and a half, maybe when it, when it opened and it's just sort of slowly coming down. Um, this is another one where I'm sort of stepping on the tracks against, against the market. <laughs> um, I, I do prefer Boise state in that your points well taken on Hainer. It obviously changes the constitution of the matchup and of the handicap. So just, you can just completely toss out that the first game where, where Boise state bolt race, the backup quarterback at Fresno. 
So you just think about it with Hayner here and, and with Hayner, uh, Fresno state has won seven straight or more accurately. They've won five straight. Cause the first two of those was, was with the backup and they become the different team, but Boise state has also become a different team ever since they, they fired their OC. They told old Hank Bachmeyer, like, thanks for the memories, but you could see yourself out the door. And then they brought back Dirk Cotter, their old buddy. And then they installed this tail on green, this six, six, 215 pound freak freshman from Texas. I don't know where, where how Boise State does their recruiting or how they they unearth some of these guys or how some of these other bigger programs miss guys like this. But Taylon Green, a, a, a dynamic uh, dual threat guy that I think Fresno State is going to have some problems corralling here. Um, going back to the Boise State side, I, I think the reason that, that this is a problematic matchup for Fresno State is Boise State has an awesome pass defense. Boise State's number six in success rate, number nine in efficiency in their in their pass defense. That's exactly what not only Fresno State wants to do, the, the Fresno State passing attack wants to do. Hayner is not a super explosive passer. It's all about the completions, the timing, and then the and putting guys in the position for the yak yardage. That's exactly what Boise State's pass defense takes off the table. What you can what you where you can beat Boise State, it's down the field. That ain't Hayner's game. He doesn't got the arm for it. Um, and then, you know, on, you know, flipping it uh, the, the other way, um, the 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 um, uh, secondary of Fresno State and the overall pass defense is their strength. Fresno secondary actually ranks number one in the nation in havoc. Um, and like I said, just a very good overall pass defense where they've struggled all season long is against the run. Doesn't matter if Hayner's in, doesn't matter when they had the backup in, whatever. Their defense has, has gotten gouged on the ground all year long. Boise State's a run first team that is a dynamic rushing team. They've always been good running the box. They always have the good running backs and they recruit the offensive line really well. Now for the first time ever, you add into that, this dynamic dual threat quarterback that has all the value with his legs. So th that's why I, I prefer Boise state there. And of course, Boise state ha has the game at home and everything like that. The next one, uh, the AAC title game. Um, I'm on Tulane in that one, um, especially with it only being three. I actually got a, a ticket on them on Sunday for, for two and a half, but even at the three, Happy to play that. Um, Tulane's got a couple of different things going on. Number one, I, I think they match up well here. And number two, I think they have an enormous motivation edge. And I, I suppose if I want to go to number three, they also have the, the home field edge. But just speaking to the, the matchup thing, in the first game, you know, UCF beat them by a touchdown. And it was in the same venue. It was in New Orleans. But the reason that UCF beat Tulane the first time around was because John Rice Plumley went berserk on the ground. He ran for like 170 yards or it was 176 yards and, and two touchdowns on the ground. And UCF as a team ran for uh, over 300 in that game. John Rice Plumley making up over half of them. John Rice Plumley, though, not only did he get injured in the last game, John Rice Plumley has has not finished four of, of UCF's last five games. Mikey Keene has had to come off the bench or one of the five of them, Mikey Keene just played the entire game. That was when uh, John Rice Plumley had a concussion, but John Rice Plumley's had three different injuries this year. It's the concussion, uh, or I'm sorry, this past month, uh, concussion. He had a, a shoulder thing and now he has a pulled hamstring and, and like the hamstring thing came up and it's like, man, wow, you know, add it to the laundry list. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then Gus Malzahn comes out this week and he's like, Oh guys, don't worry about the hamstring injury. He's been dealing with that all month. It's like, wait, uh, would have been nice to know that. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, along with the other stuff. And and when you start to think about John Rice Plumley was the guy who I sort of single-handedly beat Tulane the first time and very specifically his legs 
And then you start to consider, well, if John Rice Plumley's playing, and certainly that's what Gus Malzahn is putting out there, he will almost assuredly not have his normal mobility, not the mobility that he had in the last one. So it's not going to hurt Tulane as much in that regard. And Tulane also should have a better game plan for it. But the other thing is, he could go out of the game at literally any time. Again, four of the last five games he has been knocked out of or been unable to play. So one hit and he's gone. And then his backup, Mikey Keene. Mikey Keene's a solid uh, backup quarterback for college football, especially for the G5. He's probably one of the better backup quarterbacks in the G5. And he's actually a better thrower uh, than Plumlee, but he is not near the, the running threat. I mean, it's, it's it's not even close. He's not a running threat. So, like, it it, it entirely takes that away. And obviously, Gus Malzahn's uh, offensive scheme is really catered to that. The, the run defense at Tulane is the, is the one area where you can try to, you know, get them on and that's obviously what UCF did the last time Tulane's pass defense is awesome like it's it's really really good for the G5 UCF isn't going to be able to throw on them either way they have to do it through the ground um and and, and Plumlee was the major one the other area uh, sort of flipping the field um UCF's run defense ha- like it's it's okay in terms of the efficiency stuff and the success rate and stuff like that but it it, it ranks near the bottom of the nation in terms of the rate of explosive runs that it allows which you saw in the last game, even though, Ta- so Tajay Spears, he only had, I think it was eight runs total in the last game, but he had like, he had like a hundred and some yards um, because like every, you know, like he had these explosive, or it was, uh, I'm sorry, eight carries for 130 yards. Tajay Spears had in the last game against UCF. It's just the two lane had to go away from the run game early because they were playing from behind. I think you're going to see Tajay, like Willie Fritz, assuredly, the game plan is going to be get Tajay Spears the ball early and often. And the, the matchup is almost even better probably for Michael Pratt, um, like I, in terms of the completions. Um, like I, I think that they're going to be able to stay on schedule with that. They're going to be able to hit the, the home runs in the ground game. And then you're, you got the game at home again. And then in terms of the, the motivation thing, uh, this is Tulane's first time in the AAC title game. They talked a lot about that a couple weeks wanting to get here they wanted to host this game and they got it done by beating Cincinnati and then you have the added uh, motivation of the the Willie Fritz thing where earlier in the week it looked like you know it was reported that he was the top candidate at Georgia Tech and now uh not right like uh Willie Fritz came out the same day that the Georgia Tech uh, you know took the interim tag off of keys or whatever and and Willie Fritz you know reaffirmed his you know, his, his commitment to Tulane, which it, it seems like Willie Fritz told Georgia Tech, like, thanks, but 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 no thanks. And so I, I think that's also a galvanizing factor for Tulane. For me, basically, everything is pushing towards to or pointing towards Tulane here. And by the way, Tulane also had the best cover rate in America this year, tied with Oregon State 10 and two against the spread. Really like Tulane in that spot going with the green or going with the green wave. And was there one other one that we were going to ACC, the Clemson UNC ACC one? Um I think I forgot to hit on Chadwell, by the way. I was going to circle back to that. Chadwell, his his thing's still up in the air. He's still like a leading candidate at a couple of places. Yeah. So that's something to keep an eye on with the, the coastal thing against against Troy because he has not doused the flames with that in the same way that Willie Fritz did. Um, the the Clemson, Clemson, North Carolina, I had the hardest time handicapping that side um, because my my adjusted number was right around where the, the Vegas line is. And not only that, I don't know how – you could trust either of these teams at, you know, I mean like season long, but like, especially after the past couple of weeks, Clemson just gets stunned by South Carolina. They've been a wonky team all season. You can't, you can't put your finger on them. And then UNC, you know, they're, they're this extremely lopsided team with the awesome offense and the horrid defense. 
and they had somehow overcome circumstances to go nine and one. And it's like, man, this team, the, who knows? They could, they might even make the college football playoff. Who knows? Drake may might win the Heisman as a true freshman. And then they fall in their face against Georgia tech inexplicably. And then last week they lose to you, uh, to NC state's four string quarterback uh, in double overtime. And so it's it, like, it, it's tough for, you know, again, like one of these teams is going to get off the mat assuredly. Um, it, it was just too hard for me to make a referendum on that. The play I'm making in that game is the over my, my system's got a total on that game of 69, the uh, live line. It looks like it's 63 and a half. So I'm showing value on the over. I also think this game just points at it. Like I said, UNC's defense is an absolute abomination, and it's terrible against both the run and the pass. I know Will Shipley's going to have a, an enormous game. So another another bet I'm tossing at you. I don't have the number because it's not out yet, but take the Will Shipley over rushing prop. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's going to get there unless he gets injured, assuredly. Um, so, so Clemson in this game is going to be able to stay on schedule. The chains will constantly be moving and DJU who struggled mightily in the last game against South Carolina. And he's had his, his bout of struggles all season long in some ways. Um, he is not going to get stranded in those third and long situations that, that Clemson does not want him to get in. They're not going to be in those against North Carolina. So it's a much more advantageous scenario for DJU. Also UNC's pass defense stinks. And also UNC doesn't generate any havoc or pass rush whatsoever. So DJU is just going to be able to sit back there in advantageous down and distance scenarios and, and sort of do what he wants. It sets up as a bounce back game for DJU. Will he be able to take advantage? I don't know. But I also know that even though uh, uh, Dabo Sweeney refuses to take him out of the starting lineup, Dabo has yanked him in two big spots this year against Syracuse and against Notre Dame for, for Klubnik, the, the true freshman, the five-star, the Ballyhoo kid. If, if DJU is not getting it done against UNC and they fall behind, they have to come back you're getting Klubnik in there and they're going to pass, pass, pass. So, you know, speaking, speaking to the over thing and then flipping the field to the other side, UNC's offense, you know, up, up until the, these, these past couple games, specifically the, the Georgia tech one, but it, it had been one of the best in the nation and is one of the two or three best in terms of fishing for big plays, especially in the passing game. They're probably the best deep passing team in the entire nation. Drake may is number two PFF deep passing grade. Um, uh, and he's easily number one in the nation in PFF big time throw uh, rate downfield. UNC also has three different receivers who grade in the top 41 of the nation in PFF, uh, PFF deep passing grade. So balls that are 20 plus yards downfield. So UNC has a whole coterie of, of receivers that can go downfield and get it. And Drake may can get it there. Well, Clemson's defense, which we came into the year, th- you know, Oh, Clemson defense is going to be awesome. And I was forwarding this. Like I thought Clemson front seven, could be one of the best we'd seen the last decade. It, it's been extremely inconsistent. Their secondary has been extremely inconsistent. And Clemson's been giving up uh, explosive plays all season long. Last week, they gave up, it was like six or seven, uh, or I'm sorry, they, they gave up 520-plus uh, passing yard plays to Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler throws for 360 passing yards. Um, an, another thing to mention here, Clemson starting safety R.J. Mickens will not play in the first half of this game because he got ejected in the third quarter against South Carolina. So half of Clemson's safeties are not playing in, in for half the game, um, and they already have the big-time issue with the deep throwing, which UNC might be the best team in the nation at getting. The one thing that Clemson defense has going for them, they're number five in havoc, um, and, and UNC is okay at avoiding it, but the pass rush should should get there. I, I, I'm the, the one thing you can say for Drake May about this, he's not like most freshmen that struggle uh, under pressure. Drake May is number eight in PFF passing grade. 
under pressure. So we'll see how he deals with that. But even if he he makes you know some enormous it throws it to him, the ball's gonna be going the other way. So it's it's probably gonna be going towards our our over bet anyway. I really like the over in this one, but I I just can't touch the side. All right. Well, look, that is gonna wrap it up for us on the conference championship preview show. That was a lot of talking, Thor. Thank you for making all the points. Let's run it down one more time. Uh, just uh, And just give me the team you're picking in each of these conference championship games. You were taking UTSA, Utah. Did you say Toledo or Ohio in the MAC title game? Toledo. Toledo. Uh, TCU. Troy, yep. is that correct? Over yep. Coastal? Troy, Troy and, and the under of that game. Uh, Georgia or LSU? Uh, so I, I, I bought a Georgia minus 16 and a half ticket on Sunday with that line at 17 and a half. That's where I get trepidatious. I couldn't take LSU, but with the 17 and a half number, it gets tough, but I, I still would okay. lean George. My adjusted line on that's actually Georgia minus 20.4. So I, I would have to lean towards Georgia if I had to still on Georgia, Boise state or Fresno state, Boise state, Boise state. We're on Tulane. We're on, we don't know, in the ACC title game, UNC or Clemson. We're, we're taking one? the over in that one. We're taking the over in yeah. that one. I'll take North Carolina. And then the Big Ten title game, we're on Michigan. So uh, is is that all correct? Everything's well, the, right? Last one, the Michigan-Purdue one's tough for me. Um, I, uh, but, yeah, we could, we, we could say that one. I, I don't, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really tough one for me. Actually, Maybe don't bet on the Big Ten title game. Uh, the other yeah, ones, we have good leans. Just to disagree with you, I'll 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 lean Purdue in that one. There but that one's go. that one's really close. My system has it really close. All the all handicaps really close. Follow him at ThorKU. Follow me at Bogman Sports. We are putting together a plan for the bull shows. Uh, we will of course tweet it uh, as will betting pros as soon as we get uh, organized and settled and uh, decide what we're doing there. So that will be out soon. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us all season long. We'll be back for bowls in a couple weeks. Take it easy, everyone, and uh, enjoy the conference championship games. Have a good one.